Hello and welcome to Too Much Time in Our Hands, the theatrical cut. I'm Terry and as ever I'm joined by my faithful sidekick, Sonia. I don't know how I feel about being called a sidekick. <laughs> I wanted to see what you'd say to that. Uh, hello dear. Hello. Hopefully you can hear us right. Due to a scheduling snafu, we are actually recording on the iPad this week because the only time Sonia and I were both free is the same night that the mother pod gets recorded. So... No, it's the Gwiddy one, gents. Oh, it's the Niffler. Yeah. Uh, so when the it's Niffler the proper get... one. Yeah. The one that pays the rent for all the others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one that we piggyback onto. Um, so yeah, so hopefully it sounds all right. I mean, it might even sound better than normal if you can't hear us properly. Who knows? Um, <laughs> And also, apologies in advance, I have got a bit of a cold and I hope to not... Co- well, I cough all the time anyway. Hopefully it won't be quite as bad as normal. So, as ever, we're going to be talking about our roundup. So, what we've been watching since the last recording, excluding the stuff for the topics, which we haven't told you yet and I don't think we're going to tell you yet either. So, the first thing I watched, which was the next day, I watched Ocean's Eleven. The original or the, the new the one? The George Clooney number. Oh, Okay. Uh, in the Didn't previous watch, one, I talked about Ocean's, Ocean's 8. 8, yeah. I was actually um, listening to something you said. <laughs> first time for everything. Fancy. So I actually got a Trilogy Blu-ray box set for yeah. Ocean's Eleven. The one thing, so it's from 2001 now, so 18 years ago, that struck me within seconds, George Clooney's got a full head of like dark hair. No grey? No, maybe one or two. I found but... grey hair the other day. I oh, know. On my back. <laughs> <laughs> You are now the silverback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's quite off putting seeing George Clooney with dark hair. It's just, because mm. he's just, he's the. A silver fox. Yeah, he is the epitome of the silver fox. Um, but obviously, as a film, as I've mentioned many times, I love a caper, I love a heist film, and this is like a brilliant caper film. I really love the heist. I love all the guys involved in it. George Clooney's obviously always watchable. Brad Pitt and Matt Damon is the sort of weirdly sort of put upon. And of course, the star of the show, Don Cheadle, and his cockney accent. Good grief. Uh, which he actually keeps it up in the other films as well, which surprises me. Um, <laughs> isn't, so yeah. Brad, isn't Brad Pitt always eating something? Yes, so apparently it was. He's made a lot of films where he didn't get a chance to eat because it was take after take, so he decided in this film his character trait would always be that he's eating. Mm. And in one particular scene, he's eating a shrimp, and it took 40 takes, so he had to eat 40 shrimp. So well, it, it backfired on him somewhat. Nobody needs that. No. Uh, so yeah, so Ocean's Eleven, really enjoyed it. Will always enjoy it. Next, what, what have you been watching, Son? Well, regular listeners will possibly remember that I said I was working my way through my horror collection, starting at A. <laughs> what shite have we got this week, Son? Well, I'm not getting very far very quickly. I watched a film called Almost Human. So as you can see, I'm still on A. <laughs> Um, which is a budget film, uh, which I've watched before, um, I have to admit. It's about a guy who um, is abducted, basically. There's a bright blue light in the sky and he disappears and then some years later he reappears, um, but changed, different. Um, You don't find out where he went, who abducted him, but he's different and he's he goes uh, basically looking for his ex-partner um, and ultimately he's he's trying to get a baby that's, that's get a baby well 
Well, he's looking for his ex-partner, I'm assuming, to get her pregnant. Okay, it may sound like he was just trying to steal a baby, but he's trying to impregnate someone. Yeah, he's trying to, sorry, yeah, he's trying to impregnate someone. Um, And there's various, like, gruesome things that happen along the way as he's sort of, like, eating bits of people or possibly eating their spinal fluids or drinking their spinal fluids. It's... It's the budget. Film of the summer. It's budget, <laughs> but it's kind of some of the some of the gore and some of the effects were reasonable and passable yeah. and my sort of you know my cup of tea really. But ultimately, as I'm doing with all my films at the moment, because I'm trying to you know streamline my collection, will I watch it again? Probably not. So that one made its way onto the get rid of pile. The Kex pile. But it's okay. It's just okay. So that's almost human. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd, yeah. which is all right. Yeah, perfectly decent. I thought it was decent. I just I just don't need to see it again. So, but that's done. And I'm, I'm moving along those A's at a rapid rate now. I'm not. I'll expect it to be on C by the next recording. No, no chance. <laughs> no chance. Uh, so <clears throat> next up for me is one I think you've also watched. So it's a Netflix original, which dropped since the last recording, Triple Frontier. Dropped, did it? It did. It dropped, as the kids say. Good God. Never speak like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I watched Triple Frontier. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was okay. Mm. I thought... I've given it three stars. I thought it was perfect. I enjoyed it more up to and including the heist and sort of lost it a little bit after the heist. So, talking about the film, so it's about four... No, five, sorry, like... Special forces, I think, we're led to believe that have gone on and retired. One of them's now a realtor, not doing very well. One of them's like a cage fighter, but one of them sort of stayed in the game and they decide to go on one last job to get like this Mexican drug dealer and steal all his money for themselves. And the heist goes perfectly well, but then shit happens afterwards and it's sort of a battle for survival. Um, but you know, I thought it was perfectly decent. I thought everyone in it was decent. Yeah. But it just didn't didn't grab me as much. I thought one when shit started to go wrong, people started making decisions that, as highly trained operatives, they wouldn't make. Yeah, agree. But it was a lot of money. Yeah. That they were dealing with. I found. I thought where the money was hidden oh, was, that was genius. Yeah. We won't reveal where the money was hidden, but I thought that was genius. Um. But yeah, absolutely. Like. We were watching it and thinking exactly the same thing. You're like, why on earth are they doing that? But at the same time, if you were in that position and there was so much money, I mean, there was literally more money than they could carry, yeah. wasn't there? More money than would fit in their van. Yeah. Would you, you know, take that risk and stick around a bit longer? And... But I just think that if it was me and you, 100%, we would buckle, we'd try and take as much as we can, we'd be stuffing it up our asses and whatever. <laughs> well, speak but... for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, highly trained operatives, because like Ben Affleck's character in it, he's like the one that they need because he's the planner, he's the one mm. who knows. And he seems to lose yeah. it the quickest. Yes, yeah. he is the one who literally just goes, no, all the money. He doesn't. Mm. He's not the one who goes, no, because then they get to a plane and it's like, okay, the plane, the, the helicopter can't take off with all the money we've got. So it's like, there was just no, they just literally went for the money, which they were going to get away with a lot of money. Mm. They tried to get away with a fuck ton of money. They instead. were just being greedy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, 
it, it, it irritated me somewhat, and I say it sort of that decision just left me a little bit. Yeah. I but, like. I really liked the cast. I thought it was entertaining. Certainly, oh yeah, yeah. You know, the um. The caliber of Netflix films is just really, oh yes, it's right um, up there. Yeah, it's it's going up massively, isn't it? Um, yeah, really decent cast. It's also got um, isn't it Oscar Isaac? Oscar it? Isaac, and Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hedlund. I don't know who that is. And Pascal something or other. Um, yeah, I thought it was definitely worth yeah, a watch. No, yeah, I, I would recommend it. But again, it's probably not one that I'll rush to watch again. Yeah. Um, so following on then from Almost Human, I then watched a film called The Atticus Institute. Uh, funnily enough, a f- another film that I've also seen before, but this one I'm possibly going to keep hold of. It's, it's a mockumentary. Um, and it's, I don't, I don't know what you'd class, um, the genre as within horror. Um, Terry, are you paying attention or are you I'm busy texting? Attention. Um, you know, uh, recently when I was, well, I say recently, a while back, I uh, was listening to a podcast, and I think I mentioned to you they they mentioned um, doppelganger horror. Yes. Yeah, and I was thinking, what the hell is that? But obviously, it's it's horror films about doppelgangers, and these this um, I don't mean the genre of like mockumentaries, but um, people with like um, psychic powers, that yeah. kind, that kind of thing. I I like that kind of thing, or. Um, like demonic possession, um, yeah. and with the Atticus Institute, it focuses on this. Focuses on this um, lady. It's, it's set, I think, like in the seventies. Um, I think, yeah. um, or early eighties, and they're studying this woman who seems to have these powers. But then, as the film goes on, you're thinking, is she psychic or is she possessed? Right. Okay. Um, and you're just sort of like catching the action on not hidden cameras, but it's it's filmed as if they're making a, a study film. Right. Okay. Um, but I think reasonably well done, even though it still looks kind of budget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it's got a nice sort of like satisfying ending where you don't really know what's happened. Lovely. Um, and I I think it's okay. Um, like I say, I've seen it before. And I decided with this one that I'd possibly pop it back on the shelf. It didn't. High I didn't, praise indeed. I didn't look up to see how much I'd get for it in Kex, probably a penny. Um, and I didn't put it in the charity shop bag because I'd probably watch it again. Good lord. I know. It's the first one, I think, isn't it? Ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, so strange that you should mention Doppelganger Horror because the next film I watched was Us. I know nothing about us, so fill me in. Uh, so this is the new Jordan Peele film for anyone who's under a rock. Uh, so he's the guy who did Get Out. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it, to be honest, because it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. It was so much more, and I don't want to spoil that reveal for anyone. So I won't go much further than the trailers. So you've got a black family with Lupita Nyong'o as the mother... Winston Duke from the Black Panther uh, as the father and then their two children. I don't know their names. Um, They're going on holiday or a vacation, as they would say in America, to the mother's childhood home. Like Their grandmother's recently passed away, so they're going to the house. It's the first time the mother's been back since she was a little girl. And when she was a little girl, there was an incident where she went missing for a few hours. And when she came back, or when they found her, 
she was very changed. She went silent. She wasn't talking. And something traumatic had happened and it took years for her to get over that and for it to sort of get over that. Um, so they're on holiday with their friends. She's increasingly more nervous about being there and clearly on edge. They talk about going to the beach and she just doesn't want to go to the beach. The beach is where the incident happened. Mm. Eventually the husband talks her into going to the beach with their friends. Their friends are very much like new money. They're talking about this car they've just bought, this boat they've just bought, whereas this family are like, they're not poor by any means. They're very much comfortable, but they're not in the place where they're buying new cars all the time, mm. etc. Um, so they're playing on the beach. They have a perfectly good time. They go their separate ways, go home. And again, the mum's getting more and more like anxious. And she's like, I want to go home. I want to leave. And he's like, no, we're on holiday. We're going to stay. And then at this point, I can't remember exactly how it happens, but they look out the window and there's just four people stood in the driveway staring at the house, all in red overalls, just staring at the house. And they're all sort of like, oh, what's going on? The dad goes out and as the dad get, approaches, it becomes apparent that it is the family stood staring at themselves. And it's their doppelgangers. <gasps> yes. And I literally had no clue you were going to talk about this no, film next. It's weird how these things happen. We'll start menstruating at the same time next. If only. Um, <laughs> lost my chain of thought now. Um, and then, essentially, these doppelgangers then attack themselves. And that's as far as I'm going to get into it. Um, but it is very, very creepy. Everyone in the film plays two parts because they're playing themselves and then they're doppelganger. And nice. they're very, very different. Even the children... Well, they are actors. I would expect mm. them to be able to stretch to that. Uh, the little Unless girl in particular, she doesn't really talk, but just the way she looks, like the way she uses her eyes as the doppelganger is really, really unnerving. Um, and Lupita Nyong'o is just... There's bits where, obviously, she's not facing herself, but like the camera's got both of them in it, and it is just... It's almost hard to believe that it's the same person, like how well she's doing it. But it is very, very unnerving, very, very creepy... Upon leaving the cinema, I thought it was very good, but didn't think it lived up to Get Out. But thinking about it more and more, I think it's probably up there, possibly even better than Get Out. It's just one that you have to think... A bit like Get Out, I think. I, the first time I saw Get Out, I thought it was very good, but wasn't... Because then it started getting Oscar buzz, and I watched it again. It was when I watched it again, I realised quite how good a film it was. Mm. Apparently, this is a film, again, once you know what happens, watching it back, you spot a lot of mm. things, like in Get Out, where you... Yeah. There's a lot of foreshadowing of people talking, and when you know the, tw not necessarily the twist, but you know what happens, yeah. that takes on a whole new me meaning, and there's a lot of that in this. Um, but yeah, if you like your horror films, if you like, I mean, there's a degree of like invasion horror film, like a Strangers type mm. of thing, where they're just trying to keep them out of the house. Um, but one other thing that's very different, it is out and out funny, but in a deliberate trying to be funny way. Not like, oh my God, that death was so funny, you're going to laugh. It's, there are out-and-out out laughs in it, which dilute the fear. Mm. Um, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. I saw it with Dan from The Mother Pod, and he really, really enjoyed it. He was talking about potentially doing a, a podcast special just about the film. Um, I don't mm. know that I'd want to do that, because so I don't want to spoil it for anyone, because it is one of those films I think you need to go and explore and discover like what happens after that. Sort of Probably about 20 minutes is what I've covered. Is, uh, is it still on? Yes. Yeah, I imagine it'll be on for a little while, yeah. Okay, cool. I haven't seen a trailer for it. Not at all? No. I've seen a couple at the cinema. No. But then we haven't really been to the cinema a lot lately, have we? So, together. No. Uh, well, I'll have to look out for that then. I was going to see yeah. Captain Marvel this weekend, but I might I would heartily see. recommend both for different reasons. Yeah. 
Um, okay, I won't talk too much about the next film because Terry's talked about it a lot previously, but I did get around to watching Green Book. Oh! Thank you. Will you get off your fucking phone? I can't help it. Put it down. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, I finally got around to watching Green Book and a very worthy Oscar winner it is. I don't understand where it's... It didn't get hate, but there was a lot of people saying, really, that one best film, but I can't think of... It was... I mean, it was just so... It <sighs> That, that's all it, it needs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of almost lost for words how someone would... The only people I can assume are saying they can't believe that one best Oscar haven't seen it, because... Well, Spike Lee was one of them. What, he couldn't believe it won best Oscar? Mm-hmm. I'd pick that over Black Klansman any day. Yeah. Um, I thought that the story was heartwarming and heartbreaking and funny and serious it's one of the funniest things i've Isn't seen it? in a long time it's so funny I mean, and to think that you're watching um you know what's his face from lord of the rings aragorn the, thank you why the <laughs> fuck did i forget his name christ all i think was legolas um and i know that's not him but i mean it's so when you see those scenes where um you know they're separated and you just can't believe that that was ever a thing you know that that segregate that segregation oh, was a, yeah. a thing but because it seems just well not seems it just is awful isn't it but yeah. for him to you know for them to to travel um the way they do together and to kind of build that friendship and because then at the end it had that wonderful you know over the credits i had the pictures of the yeah. two of them because the it was pictures. based on a true yeah. story and they're actually friends and they remained friends until they both died of old age and it just really warmed your cockles doesn't it when stuff yeah. like that happens um and the music in it is amazing as well i mean yeah. it's just it's just insane i absolutely Loved it. Um, I came out of the cinema just feeling so great having seen it. I mean, it is a horrible subject matter, yeah. but the but the way but I they feel like deal it with it, yeah, it doesn't linger on the. No, horrible. no, no. It doesn't like dwell on it, and it doesn't make it. It's unpleasant to watch, but at the same time, the humour in it and their the relationship. KFC yeah, I mean the KFC scene's brilliant, but then you know that's in the trailer as well. But just their relationship is so lovely. Um, and I really loved the ending and whether or not mm. that that happened or not um, you know with the meal but yeah. I like to think that it did but it was just such a lovely perfect scene it was brilliant yeah. I, I recommend anybody to watch Green Book it's just absolutely brilliant and I don't normally agree with the Oscars but this instance I do it's just mad to think that Vigo although he was Oscar nominated he was never considered but he's so good because like mm. you say it's Aragorn but he's playing some like Italian New York gangster type and he's I, one just of my, one of my favourite bits was when he was when the club he worked in closed down he was trying to earn a bit of money he he went for an eating competition didn't yeah. he he was eating all those hot dogs but he was just kind of like but what like, I love is they make it look like he lost but yeah, he won but he won um you know, and he comes back and he's just like, oh, it's the easiest way for me to earn 50 bucks, you know. And it's just so, so, but he's such a different character because for me, he is Aragorn. Oh, he'll always be Aragorn. But, I mean, you couldn't get much more different really, could no, you? pot-bellied. I know. I love the letter writing scenes as well. Oh, it's yeah, just, writing those letters. Just magic. Yeah. Um, 
P.S. Kiss the Kids. Uh, so done. Everyone should watch Green Book. What else have you watched? Uh, so the next one was The Wife's Choice when we were having a night. Well, I say having a night in. We're in every bloody night. Uh, but having a film night together. Watch the film Stardust. Yep, never seen it. Never seen never it? Never seen it. It is right up your alley. And lots of people say that. The more yeah. people tell me something's up my alley, the more... No, the you'll less fucking in, hate this, The less inclined I am to watch it. <laughs> Uh, so it's quite an old film now, 2007, wow. so 12 years ago. I probably, years I probably own it, so that's 12 years yeah, I've been it's got a lovely. It. it did have a lovely um, slipcase, it was like bobbling because it's yeah, started around like glittery. No. And it's obviously got a great soundtrack because it has the Take That Song, Rule the World, I was remember. written for the film. I remember, my um, friend had it played at her wedding. Yeah, but it's... Or did she? I can't remember. She might have had Could It Be Magic. No, she didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it only takes a minute. Yeah, no, was... she had that one. <laughs> A million um, love songs. No, let's let's carry on. Let's let's not get into uh, a game of naming all the take that songs we know. <coughs> um, so it's based on a Neil Gaiman. Gaiman, Gaiman. How would you say? I say Gaiman. Uh, so a Neil Gaiman book. Uh, it's a very fantastical film. So you've got. I can't even remember his name. It's been so long since I watched it now. Well, um, the other day. Well, it was a good while ago now. Let me look up his name. Great uh, podcast in this. Anyway, so Charlie Cox. I can't find the character name on Letterboxd. Um, I don't even know who Charlie Cox is. He's, he's Daredevil <laughs> in the new Daredevil series. Yeah, yeah. Um, so As if I watch that. So essentially, he wants to win Sienna Miller's heart. And she's basically not interested. She's interested in Henry Cavill. Uh, Henry Cavill well, before... Well, he's Superman. Be, no, he's not big buff in this. Yeah, but he's still Superman. He's playing a bit of a dandy. Are you going to have Superman or Daredevil? Well, Daredevil's blind, so... And Superman can fly. Can you stop wrinkling... It's not my fault. These chair. are poorly made chairs. Not made for my unique size. Um, so they make... A, or she makes a deal. There's a shooting star one night, and she's like, oh... Essentially, it becomes if you could bring me back that shooting star, I'll marry you. And he's besotted with Sienna Miller. She say doesn't give a shit. So he goes to collect this magic star and goes through this gap in the wall, and he enters a new realm, new mystical realm where there's lots of weird and wonderful things. Um, the the shooting star turns out to be Claire Danes. Um, so he's basically trying to get her back to his house, and it's. There's some witches, one of which is Michelle Pfeiffer trying to get hold of the star, because if they can eat her heart, then that will give them like eternal youthfulness. And then there's also these brothers who are princes and heirs to the throne have been set the quest of retrieving the star so that they can become king. But in this realm, it's about the last surviving one. So they're also trying to off each other at the same time. Um, it, it's quite hard to explain, but it's just a proper like magical fantasy film um really really well acted really really good storyline robert de niro turns up as a weird camp pirate captain uh ricky gervais has a very minor role and it is cringy um but yeah it's just a nice easy film to watch nice like happy ending as you get with a fairy tale story but yeah just a nice enjoyable watch i'll probably ignore it for another couple of years and then charity shopping um yeah, you'll definitely like it. You'll be all over that. Oh, no. Dan gave us strict instructions to I'm sit silent. equal distance from the iPad it and not to make a sound. Now, Cat's coming near Cat Flap. We've had to open the door to let him... And I'm now going to sit 15 miles back from the microphone. It's about right, isn't it? Could you stop moving around on that chair, though? It's not my fault I'm fat and I make this chair squeak. 
Um, okay, so I then went to watch an unlimited screening of the film Wild Rose, um, which I'd seen a few trailers for. Uh, didn't realise it was an unlimited screening, found out that it was. Um, I think we just popped along last minute. Um, it's got Jesse Buckley playing Rose Lynn, uh, double barrel name, who is a Scottish young lady who wants to be a country singer. And the, the story starts, she's in prison or some kind of reform place and she's just being let out and she's got a tag on her ankle and she's, she needs to basically rebuild her life. But also she wants to achieve her dream of being a country singer. She wants to go to Nashville. She's convinced that she should have been born an American, that she's in the wrong country um, because we don't understand country music like they do in Nashville. So she leaves prison and goes back to her mum's house. Um, her mum's been looking after her two kids for her. And she's got to try and rebuild this relationship with her kids and her mum. But at the same time, she wants to follow her dream and go to Nashville. So she gets a job. She can't get the job back at the old club where she was working as a singer, which she wanted to do. They won't have her back. So she gets a job as what they call a day a day person or a day woman. And she, she goes to this house and does all the chores, basically. She makes a really, she builds a really good friendship with the woman who owns the house, who knows people, and she sent an email to a friend, and it gets sent to Bob Harris, who hears her singing and invites her. That whistling Bob Harris. Whispering. Whispering, whistling, um, same thing. Who invites her to London because he wants to hear her sing. Anyway, long story short, she ends up going to Nashville, and then coming home, and realizing you know, where she really wants to be. Um, now, you know I like country music. Is there a lot of music in it? There's some. Um, Jessie Buckley is really amazing in it. She does her own singing. There's a few... She, she doesn't write her own songs. Um, so she's singing sort of country classics, like old sort of like Patsy Cline stuff. Um, you know, and she's basically... You see footage of her like hoovering at this woman's house but singing her heart out and it's it's decent it's all right um and then towards the end of the film you do hear an original song um it's it's just a very i mean it's a it's a drama film you see this you know she's she's obviously been in prison i can't remember what what she's done to be there but she's she's got these two kids who she's obviously trying to do the best by, but she, at the same time, she's unashamedly selfish about her dream and what she wants to do. She's like, no, I want to be a singer. I want to go to Nashville. And if that leave, means me leaving my kids with my mum, I'm going to do it. And ultimately, that's what she does do. But it's, it's one of the, it's, it's got enough drama in it and it's got enough decent music in it to sort of like cover all the bases for me. I absolutely loved it. I thought Jessie Buckley was amazing in it. I thought she sung really well. And I've just looked at my um, letterbox here. I went ahead and gave it five stars, Terry. <sighs> I would happily go to the cinema and watch that again. I think it's out properly um, soon. Yeah. Um, and I've even... The songs that are available on Spotify to download... I don't, when, when we'd seen it, the soundtrack wasn't available yet to buy. Because obviously we see them early. Um, but the songs that were available of Jessie Buckley's singing, I popped on my favourite song Spotify playlist 
that I listened to in the car. Um, and I've been listening to those. I thought it was really, really good. Anyone who likes... I mean, it's a good drama film, for a start. Yeah. It's got Julie Walters in it as well. Oh, well, we there go you go. Yeah, exactly. That's worth a star, alone. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I think if, you, if you've got a passing interest in country music or music generally, then it's a good film to watch. I, I really, really rated it. I thoroughly recommend it. Off you pop. Uh, so, coincidentally, again, the next film I watched was also a musical number. Uh, another Netflix original, mm. The Dirt, which is the story of Motley Crue. Mm. Um, yeah, so... They were a bit... They were quite dickheadish. I haven't actually, <laughs> see, I haven't actually seen this yet. So um, I actually don't like the look of it, but yeah, go on. I'm not... I'm not, not a fan of Motley Crue, but I'm not like a fan of Motley Crue. I wouldn't know a lot of their songs. I like, haven't watched the film. I recognise a lot of their songs, but I wouldn't be able to sit here and like, reel off Motley Crue albums or songs, or even the names of the people uh, other than Nicky Six that I now know because of the film. Not even Tommy Lee? Obviously, I know who Tommy Lee is, but I wouldn't... On, on a, one day, I might have remembered he was in Motley Crue. Another day, I might not have remembered that he was in Motley Crue. I might have just remembered him having been married to Pamela Anderson. I was going to say, surely you'd remember it. You would remember him from being married to Pamela Anderson. I, I'm aware of the man. Although, for a long time, I didn't know that there was Tommy Lee and Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> there was a point where I thought Pamela Anderson was married to Tommy Lee Jones. That's amazing. Um, it would have been a very, very different relationship. Yeah. And a very, very different sex tape. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually giving me chills. <laughs> Not good ones. <laughs> God. <laughs> the Tommy Lee Jones Pamela Anderson sex. <laughs> I imagine it'd just be him sat on a sofa while she cooked eggs or something. Um, <laughs> Why would she be doing that anyway? I don't know. Oh, lol. Um, In her so, Baywatch outfit. <laughs> and a pinny in front of it covering her entirely. No, no, no. One of those pinnies with like the sexy lady in her Baywatch. <laughs> no, a nude man with a big cock and balls <laughs> on it. Oh... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the, the what dirt. What the dirt like? Um, so it's based on the book they wrote, isn't it? It's based on the book. I'm. Not, I don't know what they were going for. So, coming away from the film, having like no vested interest, I didn't in any way like them as people. Mm. They come across as massive balance. They're constantly fucking each other's wives, partners. Yeah. And fucking each other over at all points. I mean, one of them, their daughter gets cancer and none of the others fucking turn up there's a little bit where they just sort of reconcile but there is no mention of it it's just and like one of them decides they're going to get sober he makes all the other ones get sober they come across as massive bellends but it also i don't know it just it just seemed very odd because it didn't seem to go like complete warts and all but it didn't make them completely heroic it sort of just showed them trashing stuff, which I know, mm. like, some people, that's why they love them, because they trashed hotel rooms, they constantly drinking, and some people probably think it's funny that they were fucking around all the time, but... It I gets don't know. boring after a while. It does, it's just... There wasn't enough development in any particular way. Mm. It's mainly sort of Nicky Six's film, because it sort of starts with him as a kid, then moves on to him, and it's like obviously his drive to get sober and stuff like that, but... As I say, I haven't come away with any more appreciation of them as a band or any more appreciation of them as people. Mm. And I watched it really late and I stayed up quite late to watch it because I knew if I didn't finish watching it, I would never finish watching it. It wasn't a film I was going to go back to, so I pushed myself through. I've gone for two and a half stars and most of those stars are for the music alone. I um, It's on my list. I actually really like Motley Crue's music. Um, but... 
the trailers that I've seen of it, I haven't been like blown away by. Yeah. I think that for me, they look like four guys in fancy dress as Motley Crue. Yeah, so it, it looks a bit. They look a bit too. Uh, I don't know what the word is. They could look a bit rougher around the edges. Um, like I say, it's on my list. I've I've not heard great things about it. I know a few people that are Motley Crue fans or people that like that kind of music or maybe know the story yeah. um, who have not been that fussed by it. So I will give it a look because I do have an interest in it. But I'm, it's, I'm not... Like, for example, the other day I rewatched series one of RuPaul's Drag Race, which I've watched about seven times, <laughs> and I've got the dirt on my list. So I was thinking... I could knock out Drag Race in an afternoon. Yeah. I'm going to do that instead. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it So I don't think it'd be one that I'd actively recommend to people. I wouldn't say, if you if you want to see it, I wouldn't put you off, but I wouldn't mm. like go, oh, you like this musical film. This is the best film. thing, yeah. yeah. Oh, you liked Bohemian Rhapsody? Watch The Dirt. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. Um, I went to another unlimited screening, uh, the film Mid-90s. Which is... Is this the Jonah Hill film? There you go. Thank you for giving me that name. Jonah Hill's directorial debut. Debut. Um, Mid-90s about... Um, it follows the story of this kid called... I want to say Sunburn? Um, oh, damn, what's his name? Oh, yeah, they call him Sonny. Stevie. No. What the hell's his name? Anyway. They give him a nickname, which I've probably ruined. Um, will you get off your fucking fucking phone? Stop pointing it out. Because you're not... I'm you're not engaged. attention. You're not. You're texting. Um, anyway, mid-90s, Jonah Hill's directorial debut about this kid and, you know, his life growing up as a... I would say a tween. Um, not sure how old he is. Um, it doesn't seem like a teenager yet. And he desperately just wants to fit in. He lives with his mum and his older brother. Um, his mum is flaky um, and his brother's an arsehole. Um, and one day this kid just takes... He's watching these this group of boys skateboarding and he decides to just go to their shop and hang around one day and they, they kind of like embrace him into the group. Um, and you see a lot of the film of him trying to perfect his skateboarding tricks... Um, which is quite funny because I think it sort of shows in what really happens in real life is this kid practices and practices and practices and he's shit for ages and he's never really brilliant at it and it just is him being skateboard. Him being I couldn't imagine he was a skateboard. Christ. Um, it just shows him being very average at best, <laughs> just constantly falling off and failing, but but trying. He so desperately wants to fit in and he kind of. He takes on some... He's very young, but he starts smoking and drinking and, you know, he's... They're... I don't want to say they're a bad crowd because each one of them has got a good side to them. Um, and it's just it's just their lives, these boys. And like I say, you're following this main character who thinks he's got, like, the weight of the world on his shoulders and he's got all these problems. But then, like, the old... You've got two sort of, like, ringleaders in the group, the two older ones who are sort of, like, the, the best skateboarders. And one of them sort of like, you know, sort of takes him to one side and it's just... Because his kid idolises them, thinks they've all got these perfect lives. And he's just kind of like, well, actually, this thing happened to me and that was terrible. And over there, he's like, you know, he's got a terrible home life. And that one over there, you know, 
can't get the grades at school, he's going to fail. And this one over here has got these problems. So this young boy who idolises these older boys and thinks they've got perfect lives, actually none of them have. And they're all, I guess the idea is, is they're all escaping their problems by going out and skateboarding and trying to learn these tricks and stuff. Um, it's just a fr- it's just a film about friendship and yeah. and growing up. I th- I um, I thought it was okay. I enjoyed it. Um, it and I thought it portrayed being a teenager quite well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can't remember being a teenager, but yeah. You must be able to. I can't imagine you doing anything particularly reckless. So you seem quite you know well dull. Yeah, truth be told. I had some, I had some wild years. I was not believe you. Um, anyway, I th- I thought mid nineties was okay, pleasant enough. Right, what's next? Uh, next up for me was Ocean's Twelve. Okay, you're working your way through that box set. Working myself through the box set. Um, so this is the sequel to Ocean's Eleven, oh. uh, where the gang are joined by another person, making their number twelve instead of eleven. Uh, so this is the same crew, so they pulled off a heist at the Bellagio, and this film starts with Andy Garcia's character, who was the owner of the Bellagio, catching up to all of them and saying, basically, you owe me all the money that you stole, plus the interest that I would have accrued on said money, or I'm going to basically make your lives a living hell. Um, so essentially, the gang have to get back together to do another job. Mm. Um, the money they owe is something like $200 million, and obviously a lot of them have already spent most of the money that they accrued. Um, one 200 of, million each, or between no, them? No, that's the oh, group okay. part. They stole like 150 million or something, and with the interest. Mm. So I think they all got about 20 million, but one of them is down to 1 million. Good grief. Um, What's he spent 19 million on? Uh, cars, I think. Um, so, yeah, so they have to go on this, they end up in Europe, they end up in Amsterdam. We find Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, who is a former flame of Brad Pitt, but she's also... I don't know if it's like a real force, but there's almost like a sort of heist police force kind of thing that she's involved in, and she's obviously after Rusty. Um, but essentially, they do a couple of small jobs, and then the Night Fox, who is a well-known thief, arrives, and essentially we find out that he's the one who t- gave them up to Andy Garcia and told them where they all were, because he became jealous that everyone thought that they were the best criminals in the world, having pulled off the Bellagio heist, and he thinks of himself as the best criminal. So he sets them a task to steal this Fabergé egg, and if Danny Ocean and his crew manage to steal it first, he will pay all of their debts for them. If they fail, they're shit criminals, and they have to pay off their own debts. Mm-hmm. So it then becomes a race against time with the Night Fox to steal this Fabergé egg. Um, and as ever, with an Ocean's film, shit happens, things go badly, or do they? It's, all, it's very much a sort of sleight of hand. Are you looking this way? Are you looking that way? Um, Don Cheadle, again, is there with his horrendous Cockney accent. Uh, Eddie Izzard rocks up in this one as well, which apparently was a role offered to Ricky Gervais, but he turned it down. Because uh, this was obviously around the time when The Office was blowing up big. And apparently he was quoted as saying, why would I travel all that way to be in a film for two minutes when I could like write my own TV series? That's much more fun. Um, it's perfect. It is my least favourite of the trilogy because there is something that happens towards the end, which is just... I didn't find it quite as irritating this time around. But the first time I watched it, it literally made me like huff and puff and sort of sigh at the screen because it's so ridiculous. Um, the Night Fox is played by Vincent Cassell as well. 
quite rare to see him in like a big American film, which is normally. Love Vincent yeah, he's a great actor. Mm. Although strangely, he's in Bottom Guest House Paradiso. <laughs> <laughs> How the fuck that happened? That's amazing. Just, you just read, who should we get in this role? Some bloke off the street. Vincent Cassell's there. Shall we ask him? Go yeah. on, then. He's the one who can get attacked by a giant fucking sick bull. Bonjour. Um, <laughs> <coughs> but we digress. Uh, so again, if you like a heist film, if you like a sort of caper film, it's really good. Like the the banter and the chemistry between like the Ocean's Gang is really really good. Is it as good as our banter and chemistry? Oh no, no, nothing could be as good as our banter. <laughs> I mean, hopefully everyone who's listening has listened to the deleted scenes pod we did. I've listened to that. So I was involved in the conversation. We listened back straight away, and I've listened to it twice since it was released. And I cry laughing every time. And it's you're crying laughing at yourself, crying laughing. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's just the whole basis. The basest. You can either be a basist or you can shove it up someone's ass. Those are the two options available to you in life. Oh. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Ocean's Twelve is perfectly decent. <laughs> um. I watched the film Source Code because... Um, oh, I like Source Code. Yeah, it was on. We were just looking for a film to watch and Source Code was on Netflix and we decided to give it a watch. Had you not seen it before? I had not. Um, so very quickly, Source Code is a film starring Jake... Gyllenhaal. Oh, we're going to go Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal, yeah. Yeah, Gyllenhaal. Um, who plays a soldier. Um, and the film starts with him waking up on a train, talking to his partner, um, or his new girlfriend, um, or colleague. Do they work together? I think it's a work anyway, thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah work thing, but um, there's obviously some chemistry there. Um, and and the tra- anyway, long story short, the, the train explodes, it blows up, and then... Um, Jake Gyllenhaal wakes up in sort of like a capsule, a pod thing, and someone's talking to him, and it takes him a while to, you know, find his bearings. But ultimately, what's happening is he's being placed in this scenario over and over again because they're looking for a bomber. Someone's planted a bomb on the train, and they're trying to prevent future attacks by finding out. So they're kind of like Isn't it sending that he's planted a second bomb or something yeah. and they're trying to find they're out who he was. They're trying to find out who, who's done it. So they're sending Jake Gyllenhaal back into this like constant loop to each time he goes back, he remembers a bit more from what's happened. Um, a bit like oh, the film Happy Death Day, where she keeps waking... F- or the series Quantum Leap. I never watched that. She keeps waking up every day and remembering and sort of learning a bit more. Um, and anyway, we're not talking about Happy Death Day, we're talking about Source Code. And he's trying to work out who's who the bomber is, basically. And then, But then as the film goes on, you, you find out a little bit more about who Jake Gyllenhaal's character is and why he's in this situation yeah. that he's in. I won't reveal why. Um because it might spoil the story. But I think it's a solid film. I think it's a mm. good watch. It kept me entertained throughout. I think he's decent. All the other incidental people around him are decent. Yeah, Michelle Moynihan's the female lead, isn't she? I liked the... Is she the one in the Conjuring movies? No, that is... Oh, no, Vera Farmiga is in it as well. She's like the boss... She's the one who's talking to him in the pod. Yeah, yeah that's Michelle Moynihan's the woman on the train oh, with him. Oh, well, it depends who you would class as the other female lead then because I'd say 
So I've, I've not watched it for a while, but I would have gone with anyway, Michelle Moynihan. I would have gone with the other one. But any road up, I would say it's, it's a decent watch. Which class it as sci-fi? Oh, yes, definitely yeah, sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi. Um, Directed by Duncan Jones as well. He's done some great films. Moon. I've not seen that either. But anyway, um, I liked it. It's on Netflix. Give it a watch. I know, right? Moon. It's got Sam Rockwell in it. I know. And Matt Berry does a voice in it. I didn't know that. More likely to watch it. Tony's about to storm off and watch Moon now. Yeah. Right, what have you watched? Moon's a great film. Uh, So... I watched a Keanu Reeves film I hadn't seen before. I actually ordered it before we did the last podcast, but oh, it didn't I don't arrive. Know story. Um, so it's a film called Exposed. Did he expose himself in it? He did not, no. Did anyone? Um, no, I don't think they did, actually. Oh. Um, what on earth could the title mean, then? Uh, I think it's as confused as the film is. Um, <laughs> so I watched it, and it made little to no sense. <laughs> They're sort of like... Two storylines. There's Keanu Reeves as a cop, and then there's this girl who starts having... Her boyfriend is off in Iraq or something, and she's living with his family, and she has this weird vision in a subway where this man just walks up into the air, looks at her, smiles, and then steps back down, um, and then continues to see like these sort of... I don't know if they're meant to be angels, but like completely white. White hair, white face, but I mean like painted white. And mm. she sees them... And you've got that storyline and Keanu Reeves as a cop trying to find out who killed his partner. And if you watch the film, it is literally like you're watching two films that have been put next to each other that don't make sense until the last five minutes the characters like connect, they speak. Reading about it on Netflix afterwards, it was a film that was made that was basically this sort of weird psychological supernatural is it supernaturally kind of thing that was mainly focused on the girl and Keanu Reeves had a very minor part as a cop a studio bought it watched it realised that Keanu Reeves was not in it and it ordered it to be re-edited to make it a Keanu Reeves cop film right. which is why it makes no fucking sense because he mm. should be in it for about three minutes but mm. he's in it for probably 50% of the time and I would be very interested to see that director's cut mm. of that because that's the story you want to watch. You want to see her story. You want to see what's going on with her. Because there's this thing where there's a little girl, because she's a teacher and there's a little girl who... It's not quite clear if the dad is just abusive in like physical terms or whether he's like sexually abusive or what is. But this mm. little girl is not happy. She sees her out with her dad and the dad's very sort of... And she like is getting too involved than the teacher should. Um, but there's some real sort of... say There's very much... Is she crazy seeing these things? Mm. Are they really there? Is there some is there some, some sort of forewarning? There's a sort of... It's not a twist, but a revelation in the middle that turns it on its head. And then it goes from there. I won't mention it anymore. It's, say, it's not a very good film because of what they've done. It could have been, I think, a very decent film to watch. Um, it's not that long. Um, and so I picked it up on Blu-ray for like a couple of quid. So mm. if you like... If you're sort of willing to give it a go, it's it's okay. I think I gave it two stars. Um, but yeah, it's another one where the studio's fucked it over, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I went to see Shazam. I was meant to go. I can't remember why I didn't end up going. Oh, um, Jem's friend was having, had had a bad day at work and needed someone to see her. So Jem had to go out and see her and I had to stay home with Daisy. Lamest excuse ever. Um, Shazam was, whatever's. I think it was like Deadpool for kids. Yeah. Um, was this an unlimited screening? It was, yeah. Okay. 
that's why we went to see it because this doesn't really tick any boxes. I was for me. surprised when you said you wanted to go. To be yeah, honest. it's not. I'll, I'll I'll watch anything, unlimited, um, pretty much. But this, I I wasn't really <coughs> sure on it. You know, I'm not overly fussed by superhero films, and if they're gonna do it funny. They've got to be Deadpool funny or they've got to be Ant-Man funny. This was just falling so flat for me. And my biggest issue with it, it was it was fine, but it's so family friendly. And the whole, the whole thing about, there's a lot of like, oh my God, I love my family so much type of stuff <coughs> in it. And it was just really cringy. It was like sort of toe curling at times. Um... I was ready to just like, you know, poo-poo this film even more than I just have um, <laughs> until the very end scene. For me, the end scene saved it. I loved the end scene so much. And then the closing credits when they've got all, they've just got a lot of animation going on yeah. over the closing credits, which I really enjoyed. But the end scene, I absolutely love. I was just like, okay, very well done with that. Um, but if I was to sum it up, I would say it's Deadpool for kids. Yeah. Um, it, it's not one that I'd watch again. If I would, I would say it's a perfect half. It's because it's the school holidays at the moment, yeah. is it? I would class it as a perfect half-term movie. Mm. Yeah. I, I do want to go see it, although I feel like I've missed the boat now. It's been out so long, I probably won't end up seeing it at the cinema. But. <clears throat> and if I can read right on your thing, the next film you saw... Did we see it together? We did. Yeah, go on then, you can have it. Yeah, so the next one we saw... was this Another unlimited, unlimited screen? screening. It was, wasn't it, yeah. Cool, uh, we're all about those unlimited screenings. Yeah, we, you've got Yay. to make the most of your unlimited card. Go see uh, the world. So we went to see the Pet Cemetery. would we call it a remake, a reboot? Just another film adaptation of a book? Because it is quite different to Yeah, the... they've, they've changed it, haven't they? Yeah, I'd say they've changed this more than like the It film changed itself, if that mm. makes sense. Uh, yeah, so we saw Pet Cemetery, the 2019 version. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen or read anything about Pet Cemetery, so what are, what's their names? The Creeds. Yeah, the Creeds move to a new house way out. I mean, I guess it's in Maine because it's a Stephen King thing. Um, it's Ludlow. Ludlow, because the husband, he's been working at an ER and he just needs more time with the family. So they buy this big old house, uh, which happens to have a pet cemetery out back um, and a horrendously busy road out in front. Um, so they move there. Everything seems to be going fine. John Lithgow lives across the road. He's a lovely old man. Um, Judd. Judd. I forget his Crand name. Crandall. 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 Crandall, I think, yeah. Um and there's a lovely creepy scene where there's some kids performing a pet funeral where they're oh. all like wearing the mask, which is heavily used in all of like the trailers and the posters, posters. but takes up roughly five seconds in the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the creeds, you've got the husband and wife, and then you've got the daughter and the young son, Gage. Um, and then Louis is working, because he, is he a doctor or is he a teacher? Doctor. He's a doctor and... Someone is brought in who's been hit by a truck and their head is essentially in two pieces. And he battles to try and save him, but it's unsuccessful. And for reasons unknown, the spirit of this boy decides to try and help Louis because he tried to help him. And he warns him about the pet cemetery and what lies beyond the pet cemetery. 
Um, do we want to go much further than that in explaining it? Getting a bit spoilery? Although the trailer gives literally everything away. Uh, you can explain as much as you want to explain. I feel like I don't want to go too much further in case people do want to go into it with a bit of a, an open mind. But essentially there is something way past the pet cemetery that he's warned he should never go to in, under any circumstances. He should leave well alone. And then something happens and Judd takes Louis over this barrier and that's where the film twists. Because that happens fairly late on as well. It sort of starts to get into like the real horror of it all. But there's lots of other... There's sort of flashbacks to the mother's childhood where she's got a sister with a horrendous spinal condition. I can't remember what the condition was called. It's spinal she had spinal meningitis that's it um and that's that's got some horrendous scenes in it i mean the film is quite jumpy especially to the woman who was sat in front of us who at one point literally completely left her seat mm. um i thought it was a perfectly decent film having recently watched the original film obviously i mentioned it on the last podcast i think this is much better than the original one i think it's a lot scarier it's a lot sort of I don't know, say the last one very much felt like a TV film. This feels like a, a film for the cinema. But I don't know, it just left me a little bit cold. It didn't really, I didn't really like the ending at all. And I thought it was perfectly decent. But if you want to watch a scary Stephen King film, I'd say watch either It's rather than this. Thoughts, Sonia? Yeah. Um, so I also went to that unlimited screening of Pet Cemetery. Um, I I disagree on a number of points. Okay. Um, I feel that it very much watched like a TV movie. Um, I almost it, I didn't feel like it was good enough for the big screen. I th- um, I meant more like it looked like a film. Whereas it's like, the it's other only, one... I think that's that's only because it, it's tw- well, when was the original made? Eighty. Yeah. So it's over 20 years newer. I only think that's because of the progress that's um, been made in film. You know, the progress that's been made. I don't think that the quality of the the actual film, um, for me, I thought it watched like a TV movie. But um, I I thought it was okay. I actually prefer the original. Um, I... I feel like it follows the book better. Not that not the book adaptations have to follow the book to the letter. I just prefer the way it follows follows the book. I obviously prefer the book over all of these. Um, I also watched Pet Cemetery Two. Um, I'm just gonna just lump them all yeah. in together. Pet Cemetery Two is not worth talking about. It's it's a turd of a film. With Eddie Furlong. Yeah. Um, but. Pet Cemetery, the original, I personally prefer to the the new one, um, mainly because of Gage in it, because the kid who plays Gage in the original one is so good. And the kid was like just coming up to three years old, mm. I think, when they filmed that. And he's so, so good. And I think if you were to watch the film, you'd kind of think, oh, my God, that kid's like way too... Advice. He seems like for yeah. a little kid that he's talking way too much and that it can't be real. But actually in the book... Gage is actually like that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 was, I was just a bit disappointed. I feel like the the trailers made it out to be something like super creepy. Mm. And really it's not like you say with that, that whole bit with the kids with the masks. I mean, that seems like it could have been um, 
used so much yeah, more. I assumed actually, they were going to come back into it yeah. as well, but they don't. Yeah, exactly. I thought they were going to do something with that, but actually that's, that's not even in the book anyway. So, you know, you don't have those kind of things happening mm. in the books. It's just something that's been added probably for the purpose of trailers, um, which is fine. And also the thing with the wife's sister and these flashbacks, yes, it's something that's talked about in the book and it's more to do with... Um, why the wife is the way she is, like why she avoids certain situations and certain conversations and has certain beliefs about certain things. It's because of her childhood growing up with this sister with this illness. But the way it's used in both films, I kind of feel like they've used it as a as a big scare when yeah. actually it's it's kind of not. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, again, which is fine. In the first film, I just felt like... The sister thing felt like it didn't feel like it was part of the film. It felt like it was just exactly. tacked on. Whereas in this one, it at least feels yeah. more part so of the story. So it felt tacked on in the first one. It didn't need to be on it at all. But my point is, it didn't need to be in either of them. Yeah. If, for me personally, I would have pulled that whole storyline out because you could have just had the wife being a bit of a bitch. Mm. You could have like had it unexplained. Pull the whole Zelda thing out and expand on some of the other storyline a little bit more about the pet mm. cemetery about. Um, the relationship Judd has with the family because I feel like, I mean, you refer to him a couple of times as the crazy old man over the road, which he's not, but I feel like that's how he's portrayed because yeah. you never see the relationship that he builds up with the family. So yeah, You see that more in the first one, that they actually built up a relationship. Yeah. Um, but that's just possibly because I enjoy the book so much which is why I was a little bit disappointed. But also, I'm genuinely, generally disappointed by Stephen King adaptations because I feel, because the books are so involved, I I very rarely feel like a good, there's a good screen adaptation of it mm. because it's so much has to be cut out. You need to have like a, a Game of Thrones style series built around I was around just about it. to say, in an ideal world, we would have TV series. There are TV series of some of his books, you'd have TV series um, of Stephen King books as opposed to these films. It's okay. I feel like it's, again, marketed at a, a younger audience. Yeah. Um, and also, I thought The Cat was brilliant in it. Oh, yeah. So Church was brilliant. I loved Church in the original as well. I like the fact they're two very different cats because the cat is such a, a big role in the film and I liked the fact they went for a completely different looking cat mm. in it. Did you see the picture I sent you as well of him wearing, yeah, a, wearing a, tie a tie at the premiere? Um, so yeah, it's, it's average. I've given... I'm looking at my letterbox now. I gave Pet Cemetery the new one, three stars, and I gave the original four stars. I've seen the original before. Again, it's part of my horror collection. With Stephen King films, even if I think they're shit, I still keep them in my yeah. collection because I'm a Stephen King fan. Um, but my advice to anyone is to just read the book instead. <laughs> That's what I'd say. Um, is it a big book? No, it's a normal-sized book. You seem to have it in your head when we came out of the film. It was a massive book. It's I like, just think all Stephen King No, books. they're not I all think massive. of him as Garth Marenghi, so they're yeah. all, like, No, it's massive. a massive book. But, um, yeah. It was just okay. Um, I've got two more on my I've list. I've got three more. Okay. So I went down a slightly different tack after Pet Cemetery. I watched Moana. Oh, lovely. Um... Yeah, um, me and Jen were in, it was while Daisy was awake, we thought, because she listens to the soundtrack quite a lot in the bath in the car, we thought we'd see if she actually watched it, and she genuinely sat and watched it. When the songs weren't on, she fucked off and played a little bit, but as soon as they actually stuck, like Moana sings her song, or You're Welcome came on, she sat and watched it. 
I mean, there's no, I feel like we've talked about Moana many, many times. I think it's a brilliant film. I think it's the songs in it are amazing. Like the casting of The Rock as Maui is absolutely mm. fantastic. And Jermaine Clement as uh, The Crab. I love The Crab song. Um, it's probably my favourite song. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a lovely film. It looks amazing. Possibly my favourite non-main Disney character is Hey Hey the Chicken. Mm. Every single time I watch it, I die laughing where Hey Hey realises he's on the boat. And she takes like the pot off his head, he screams, she puts the pot back on, he stops, she takes it off, he screams again, and it's just his eyes. And when he's like eating the rock, and then he spits the rock out, and then he eats it again, and it's just, I just love the dumb chicken. Uh, but yeah, no, Moana, so there's not much more to say, it's an amazing Disney film, if you haven't seen it, you're an idiot, watch it. Nice. I went to see another unlimited screening. I've missed quite a lot of unlimited screenings, haven't I? Um, I went to see the film Eighth Grade, which I've possibly seen more trailers for than I've ever seen trailers for any film ever. It seems that every time I've been to the cinema in the last six months, I've seen a trailer for Eighth Grade. Um, Eighth Grade is a film about a 12-year-old girl, um, because I realised that... Would that be the year of an eighth grader? Yes. So Eighth Grade is the same as our year eight over here. So 12-year-old Kayla, and it's the story of her life during this year at school because they have middle school and then high school so after eighth grade they'll go up to high school whereas our year eight just becomes year nine and we stay in the same school um and she is i guess from the trailers you kind of get an idea that she's this very uh shy girl that she maybe doesn't have many friends that she's got confidence issues but the thing that i was struck by straight away is She's making these YouTube videos. Um, now, I think anyone who has the guts to stand in front of a camera and then and film themselves talking or doing a tutorial or whatever, but is filming themselves and then putting it on a platform where anyone can watch it has got to have some balls. Um, and here she is, this, this 12-year-old girl. She's like a very typical 12-year-old. She's, you know, she's clearly not confident about the way she looks you can tell by the way she holds herself she's desperately trying to be popular she you see her on her twitter and on her instagram you know posting stuff and it's all you know she's posing and make you know she's putting all the filters on and she's making she's making up these happy scenarios if you like and then going back to what appears to be a very drab life and you see her at school where she's on her own a lot, you know, a lot of the time she doesn't have, well, she is on her own all the time. She doesn't have any friends. She lives with just her dad. Her dad tries to sort of like talk to her and find out what's going on in her life. But she's very just kind of, eh, dad, leave me alone. Yeah. She sits at the dinner table with her earphones in and stuff. And you kind of just feel sorry for this girl just trying to get through school and make friends and at one point you see she's written a list and it's got goals and she's one of the goals is to have more friends and then below that she's put to have a best friend and you realize she doesn't really have any friends she's invited to this party by this girl's mum a pool party the girl doesn't invite her she doesn't want her there she's not one of the cool kids yeah but the mum invites her and she turns up at this pool party again another example i think of this girl who's desperately trying to be liked and shows that she does have this level of confidence because she turns up and she's she goes out in a swimming costume and gets in the swimming pool and just 
tries to fit in and it's kind of painful to watch but at the same time you think she's you've got to respect this kid yeah. for trying but before she goes out to the swimming pool she's in the bathroom having a panic attack and when that film finished i said to my mum that girl is 12 years old and she's 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 unhappy with her life she's having panic attacks before going to social events and she's on social media desperately trying to be liked. I said to my mum, she's 12, but she could be 20, she could be 30, she mm. could be 40. I said, this film translates to any age. Yes, being 12 and being at school and having no mates is fucking shit. But it's the same when you're 20, when you're 30, or when yeah. you're 40. And it will continue to be. And everyone's just in the same situation where they're, you know, finding shit hard and just trying to do their best and be happy. And that's what the film's about. But... It's very, it is very heartwarming and it's, you really like root for Kayla and you want her to do well. She's a nice kid and she, there are certain times where she, she never behaves in a bad way, I don't think, but she sometimes says things to try and fit in or to try and yeah. get people to like her and you're just kind of like, oh, Kayla, you're not really going to do that, are you? And she doesn't and she never lets herself be used or abused like one one boy one an older boy tries tries it on with her and tries to get her to take her top off but she's like no i don't feel comfortable yeah. with that i'm going home and and i like the fact that she kind of put her foot down and said no to that but i really enjoyed eighth grade a lot more than i thought i was going to i did just go along because it was an unlimited screening she's like yeah i want to give yeah. this a go i've seen so many trailers for it and i thought the trailers looked fine i was intrigued by it if i'm honest um but I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a film that was so relatable to anyone of any age. Especially in this... Uh, These modern times. Time of social media, yeah. Um, I'd give 8th grade a, a jolly big thumbs up. A bass player thumbs up. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so next up, I watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Love that film. Yeah, not... Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, just, still just love Homecoming. Opinion. Yeah, no. Um, I did actually look at your letterbox before you came round. <gasps> Invasion of my privacy. Um, but yeah, no, I love Spider Man Homecoming. I think I like all the Spider Man films. I actually really enjoy the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider Man films, which get a bad rep. But I think Tom Holland as Spider Man, I think he's obviously the most age appropriate, being that he's only like 20 himself, and obviously Peter Parker's meant to be like a teenager. Um, but it's just such a joyful film because it is... A lot of the other Spider-Man films get caught up in, like, with great power comes great responsibility, whereas this is just... Obviously, it's set after Civil War, so this isn't, like, an origin story as such. We don't see him get bitten by the spider and Uncle Ben die. That's all implied. They know we've seen that a million times already. And it's him finding his place in, like, the in a world of superheroes, essentially, because it's not just that he's your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. He exists in a world where... The Hulk is there, where Iron Man's there, where Thor exists. So it's what can he do as like this young lad, and it's. But then you've also got him at school, fancying a girl, just trying to be noticed. And on the one hand, he's Spider Man, who everyone, even the school bully who bullies Peter Parker, loves Spider Man. But then you've got him as Peter Parker, being bullied and not fitting in, and the girl that he likes seemingly not interested in him. Uh, you've got Michael Keaton as the bad guy. Just tearing up the stage as he would. He's he's very good. You've got John Favreau as Happy Hogan, in it, and then you've got Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, as the sort of mentor to Tobey Maguire's Tobey Maguire, 
to Tom Holland's Spider-Man, um, giving him the high-tech suit. Um, some great scenes where he unlocks new modes like kill mode and instant death. But it's just... I like how they kept the stakes really low in this because oh. it's quite easy in a superhero film where the stakes are the world is going to end, the world is going to blow up. This is literally just... This bad guy wants weapons. I'm going to stop him getting the weapons. It's a very small, low-key idea. And it's not. if he fails, it's not going to mean the destruction of the Earth. And I just like that they kept it small. I think it's really good. Um, I don't think there's a weak link in it. I think his friend is really good in it as well. He's like, well, he wants to be the chairman. He gets caught on the computer trying to help. He's like, what are you doing? I'm watching porn. Because he doesn't want to say that he's helping Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, again... I can't imagine anyone hasn't heard of slash seen Spider-Man Homecoming. If you haven't, get it watched. It's fantastic. It really is. Um, okay, so final one for me for this roundup. I went to not an unlimited screening. I don't know if it was an anniversary screening. Because I'm I went assuming to see it must Clockwork be. Orange. Um, 1971. So no. If it is an anniversary, it's an odd one, isn't it? Anyway, so Clockwork Orange was playing at Cineworld. And I went along to watch that now i was very sure i'd seen clockwork orange before and actually i've seen some of clockwork orange before so part of the experience was um me re-watching the film and part of it was brand new um i want and i just wanted to see it on the big screen to be honest now clockwork orange the book is one of only two books that i've never finished because it was basically just too hard for me to read. Um, there's a lot of made up language in it, made up words, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around them. Um, and I, I just gave up because it was just too much of a chore to read. So that's fine, whatever. Um, the, so I've, I've just got the, the bit of blurb up because I think this probably sums up the film easier than me trying to explain it. Um, Clockwork Orange being the adventures of a young man whose principal interests are rape, ultraviolence and Beethoven. So the film follows Alex, um, played by Malcolm McDowell, who looks, who's so engaging in it. Yeah. He's really sort of like, I really feel like his portrayal of Alex is really like almost like bewitching. You can't take your eyes off him, especially when he's wearing the iconic costume of like the bowler hat and the oh, eyelashes yeah, on one eye Cod you know and the white yeah and the white outfit and you know which is not the outfit he wears for the whole film obviously but it's so like instantly recognizable um and what i was st- struck by watching a clockwork orange is a that stanley kubrick um was actually like a genius yeah. <laughs> um and the way he films things is is really just it's just something else and it's just so out there i mean a clockwork orange is such an out there story anyway of the bit of the book that i've read and yet he somehow managed to translate that onto screen in a in a in a really good way i can't i don't really have the words to describe it because it's so difficult to watch in parts and in other parts it's funny and in and it's so, it's just so out there. And I can't really, it's a really hard film, I think, to describe yeah. if you haven't seen it or if you don't know the story. I mean, there were some people in the screen 
um, laughing at certain bits or laughing at certain uses of certain words. And I and I got the impression that this was probably the first time they'd seen it and they possibly didn't know anything about the yeah. film or they hadn't read the book. And I was saying, is anything wrong with having not read a book of a film? But I thought those parts of the film, I don't think are meant to be funny, mm. but because it's so hard to get in parts because it doesn't seem to make sense what they're just doing. But ultimately, you're following a group of guys around for the first part of the film who are just off their nut. And it's almost like you're watching it through someone's eyes who's on drugs or is pissed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is why it's so like weird to watch at times. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Like I say, I thought I'd seen it before. I'd only seen part of it. And if I'm honest, I'd seen... I'd probably seen it up until he goes into prison. Yeah. Um, Sorry if that's a massive spoiler, but the film did come out in 1971. Um, And the film is two hours and 20 minutes long. You know how I feel about these things. Yeah. Um, For me, it, it... I knew I was watching a long film, but at no point did I want to look at my watch. Um... I was in very, I was very engaged throughout. I thought the use of music throughout was amazing mm, as well. That's one thing Kubrick does very well. Yeah, really, really I think well. One thing, like that's only one thing. Even though music plays a massive part in this story, anyway, the way the music was used was, was good anyway. I think you could take out Alex's interest of music, and the music would have still been a really good part of the film. Um, I went to see it with um, Rich from the fan club, um, and I said to him. When I, was, when I was younger, when I was in my teens, my early teens, I went to like a collector's fair with my dad. Um, and it was sort of like movies, comics, that kind of thing. It was only a local thing in Watford. And, you know, before, you know, Comic-Con and stuff like that. Um, it was in a leisure centre. Um, but you had all these like comic and film dealers and stuff there. And it was in the days of video nasties and um, Clockwork Orange was still banned. Someone said to me that Stanley Kubrick actually asked for it to be banned because there was a, a spate of copycat gangs coming out after watching the film. Possibly. I don't know. I don't know the reasons for um, Clockwork Orange being banned. I thought it was probably because of the rape scenes. Probably, yeah. Um, which weren't as graphic as I No, it's not graphic, but believe. it's obviously back in the 70s. Yeah. Very different era. Um, but this was... So when I went to this collector's fair, Clockwork Orange was banned. It was classed as a video nasty, as was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was near my birthday, and my dad said to me, it's a treat, because, you know, you know I, I like film, but, you know, I like horror films. And we went, and my dad said, have you got any video nasties? You know, like on The Simpsons, when Homer yeah. asks Apu if he's got any fireworks <laughs> um, out the back. And this guy had a copy of Clockwork Orange on video and a copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre on video. My dad said to me, you can have one for your birthday, because they were quite expensive. Um, and you probably know, I chose Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Um, and I still own that old video, and I st- to this day I still maintain I made the right choice. Yeah. For me now, put the two films in front of me. I'm going to watch Texas all day long, but Clockwork Orange for me, watching it on the big screen made me appreciate it a whole lot yeah, more. Yeah, so good. I didn't get to go see it because at some point I tried to read the, read the book and I didn't finish it because I didn't like the words. At some point I tried to watch the film and only got halfway through and abandoned it. But there's something different about watching it on a big screen. I'm not going to walk out of a screening. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to stick it through. And I'm glad I did. And it's made me want to try and read the book again. 
read the did I say write the book? No, you should, should read. read the book. Um so yeah, I'm gonna give it a go. Cause I think it's quite a small one as well. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I liked Clockwork Orange a lot more than I thought I was going to. Very happy that I got to see that on the big screen. Yeah, no, I wanted to go but fucking the flu or whatever took me. It wasn't a flu, was it? Because you're here now. Anyway. Honestly, if you'd have seen me yesterday, you thought I looked shit at your doorstep earlier. Come on, give us your last Don't film. you shush me. Oh, you've seen that before. You can skim over that. All right. I won't even bloody mention it then. Bye. Come on. Uh, so the last film I watched, which was last night, because it came out on DVD and Blu-ray this week, was... Oh, what did you get it on? DVD? I got it on 4K, actually. Because it came in a steelbook, and I've got all the others on. Uh, so it's Aquaman. I never saw Aquaman. No? It's... I'll borrow yours. Yeah, no. Um, it's I really, really enjoyed it in the cinema. It really took me by surprise. Because obviously DC have this thing of being really moody, dark, serious films. Whereas an Aquaman is very much like a Thor type. It's like Thor under the sea, essentially. Um, you've got Jason Momoa being big and hulking and funny. Um, and this obviously crazy underwater <coughs> world where you've got squid playing drums. Um, Dolph Lundgren being very good as well. Obviously, we talked about him recently being a bad actor. Um but no, it's really, really good. I enjoyed it just as much second time round. Second time round, it felt like a long film. Obviously, you mentioned Clockwork Orange. This, this is two and a half hours. It doesn't need to be two and a half hours. And one thing that really struck me, which at the cinema I didn't clock because I hadn't seen Captain Marvel at that point, but obviously Captain Marvel, Samuel L. Jackson, in the entirety of that film, is being de-aged and it is meticulous and you do not realise for about five minutes in Aquaman, Tamuri Morrison, Nicole Kidman and William Dafoe are de-aged and it looks fucking awful. It looks like someone has done it on like a MacBook. Mm. Their faces are just so shy. It's literally like they've just buffed Smooth out the them. lines. Yeah. And it's just strange how Marvel can do it for an entire film faultlessly, but DC... I mean, there are effects in Aquaman that are amazing, like the underwater stuff. Because obviously, every th- when they're underwater, all their hair's moving constantly mm. and stuff like that. But just something like that, which another place can do so faultlessly, but all of all three of them, you were just looking at because Jem wasn't aware of like all the actors stuff. She was just like, "Is his face meant to look like that?" Because it was just so ironed and just mm. unnatural looking. Um, obviously, that doesn't really tell you a lot about the story of the film. Uh, so obviously this is a DC superhero about Aquaman it is post Justice League so again it's not a big origin story but it is him becoming the proper Aquaman and not just a guy who's really strong and is good with the sea Um, (laughs) good with the sea yeah well he can commune with fish but yeah you can see Jason Moore is clearly having a bloody lovely time in the role I feel like he's someone that didn't really expect to become this big if that mm. makes sense and he's just enjoying it while it lasts expecting it to sort of disappear possibly as quickly as it arrived um but yeah no it's really enjoyable it's a great thing it's directed by james wan who's forever collecting different genres he did fast and the furious seven i think the first one to break the billion dollar mark uh the conjuring films the saw films Is not he the producer of that new horror film that's just yeah, coming out like a um, but yeah, he's creating all of these universes. Obviously, The Conjuring has become its own universe. The Insidious he did as well. He's just everything. Sword? Yeah, everything he seems to touch turns to gold. And I do think he's a really, really good filmmaker. They're making a second one, obviously, because it's a superhero film. I will happily go and watch that. I will watch Aquaman again. It's if you like a superhero film, you're gonna really enjoy it. So especially if you're a Thor fan. Um, and what about me, who doesn't really like a superhero film? Do you like looking at buff men with their tops off? 
I don't not like that. <laughs> Do you like Jason Momoa? I liked the trailer. I thought it looked fun. Mm. It is, especially when you compare it to Justice League, Batman mm. versus Superman, I Man of Steel, Suicide so. Squad. It is, it is fun. It takes the piss out of itself. There are proper sort of tongue-in-cheek moments. And it just looks... It's all... I would compare it to Guardians of the Galaxy, like, when they get under the ocean, where, like, you've got all these amazing creatures and stuff like that, like, a proper world-building kind of a film. But, yeah, I, I would go so far as to say you would enjoy it. I only want a quick answer, because you've just reminded me. What do you think of the new Joker trailer? I'm very, very excited. Yeah, that'll do. Um... Okay, are we all done? I'm all done. I'm done too. Yeah? Yeah. That's everything we've watched since the last record. Um, are we going to talk? Are we gonna reveal what we'll be talking about next episode or are we just going to come out with the episode? Should we just hit them in the face with a surprise for a change? Let's do that. Yeah. Hit them in the face with it. <laughs> that would be lovely. Yeah. Um, okay, well, thank you for listening. This feels like it's been a huge roundup. But it's quite a lot of... Yeah, we've, we've watched a lot of films. Considering when you find out what our subject is and you realise quite what we've had to watch, yeah. um, I, I think we've done very well to watch so much other stuff. Yeah. It has been... A, it's been very enjoyable, but it has been quite the trial. Yeah, it really has. We've needed a lot of extra hours in the day to get through um, our next subject matter. But that's done. That's done. We'll talk about that next time. Um, so as usual, thank you very, very much for listening. Hopefully this sounds okay on the iPad. Um, Terry, would you like to do the social media? Yeah, so social media, we are on Instagram at Theatrical Cup Pod. Uh, I am Prefax and Sonia is Mallory underscore watches if you want to follow our personal accounts. We're on the Facebook, uh, again, search Theatrical Cup Pod. And then if you want to contact us via email for any reason, we are theatricalcut at gmail.com. Lovely. And what about the mother pod? The mother pod on Instagram and Twitter are T T M T O O H. <laughs> well done, you. I've nailed it again. Nailed it again. And um, they are also on Facebook. Yes, um, but you'd, you'd find them on Facebook by searching for "Too Much Time on Our Hands," I yes. believe, um, rather than T M T O O H. Yes. And done. Any more for any more? No, just. Make sure you're following us on all the on all the social medias, liking our posts, sharing our posts. Get the word of the Theatrical Cup podcast out there with your friends. And Mike, drop. Yeah.